With property, doesn't matter how you feel about the property, you might change your mind and think property shit, but you need to live somewhere anyway. You've got no choice. The big question is this. How are investors like us who weren't born in the silver spoon successfully investing in property to create a passive income and still have a lifestyle now? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answers. I'm George Markowski and welcome to the Positive Property Show. Our mission is to empower 10,000 people to create financial freedom through property using the Markowski method. Join us. Property, property, property. If you love property, <laughs> you're in the right place. If you don't like property, probably not the right place. We're your hosts, Christina Markowski. And George Markowski. And thanks for joining us today. We're going to be talking about the man himself, George Markowski. Thank you. And I'm so going to be interviewing Christina's him. going to be interviewing me, so this should be a bit of fun. And um, asking George about his journey around property, I guess, and business, and what sort of led him to his ultimate success in real estate. Mm-hmm. Okay. So should we take it from the beginning, I guess? Look, um, let's how start... did you actually like get into property? Okay, good question. And um, I think property is one of those aspirational things that lots of Australians want to do anyway. Mm, everyone um, wants to own a home. The thing is, I'm going to go back one step further, even before then. Oh, we're going way back. We're going way back. And um, see, a lot of people, when they hear that I've been successful in business and property, mm. I became a self-made billionaire by 30 and I retired at 37 with 10 properties, 180,000 a year. Talk about goals. And pe- people, a lot of people think, wow, your parents must be really good at property or really good at business and oh, everything else like that. Your parents are really rich. Yeah, and no, that's the, the fact of it is, um, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. Mm. Actually, um, my parents, I came from a family that struggled to make ends meet. You had to actually make the spoon to be able to eat dinner. Yeah, so my, my parents, they emigrated from Macedonia and... Um, so I actually didn't even understand English when I went to school. Wow. That must have been so tough. Well, I got into a lot of fights because of the communication barrier. You know right, what I mean? Right, How old were you when you came over here? I was born in Australia. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> I was born here. I'm an Australian right. citizen. <laughs> you made it sound like no, you came no, from parents, No, my parents emigrated. My, my parents emigrated from um, Macedonia for political reasons. So right. my father, Macedonia was part of Yugoslavia. He wanted freedom from Macedonia and they put him in jail. So he escaped and actually came to Australia. Interesting story in its own. Mm. But we're not going to go there today. But um, so he was a, a miner in Kalgoorlie, gold miner. Right. Right. And... Um, he wrote a letter to my mum and said, look, let's come to Australia, let's get married. Mm-hmm. Now, in those days, letters went across that you didn't write a letter and send it by aeroplane, it was too expensive. So letters took ages to get there. And imagine this, he wrote a letter and said, I'll meet you in 12 months on this date. And then she had to get all affairs in line, right? And her mother died when she was young, in her bed when she was in her 20s next wow, to her. Wow. And then she packed everything up and went to Italy and then caught a ship and got off the ship and there he was waiting for her. Like, talk about, in these days, you know, you ring someone up and say, meet me in half an hour, and they can't make it on time. But imagine... You had to be reliable. Uh, none of this saying you're going to go to something and then not rocking up. Exactly. Because uh, there was no mobiles. No mobiles, no nothing. No internet, no nothing. And I think um, being true to your word is very important and is shows your true character. Right. Because at the time when you make a commitment to someone, say, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll meet you Saturday night at 7.30. And then, you know, it's 5.30 Saturday and you're tired and you can't be bothered. Your true character comes out when you do it anyway because you're committed. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So um, my story starts with my first business, actually. So how did, just going back before that, how did you actually learn English then? How oh. old were you when you actually started speaking English? Okay, so I was in um, preschool. Yeah. And I learned a few words there. And um, see, I didn't understand a lot of um, a lot of the things in English that were sayings and stuff like that. So I was doing something, I remember, in preschool. So I was probably um, four years old or something. And the teacher goes, cut that out. And I go, do you have any scissors? And she goes, don't so be smart. Her, literally, yeah. And she goes, don't be smart. And I said, I thought I was here to learn to be smart. <laughs> and she goes, you're being smart. I go, oh, thank you. Like, <laughs> it was like, so yeah, yeah, it's okay. almost a comedy. You could almost have yeah. Eddie Murphy doing it, but that's what it was like. So, so I you didn't... probably weren't fluent in English until you became like five or six, really? I, so first day of school, people talking this different language and I'm in the corridor and there's a long, dark, dank corridor. It was scary, very mm. scary. 
Luckily, I made some friends very quickly and it was all fine. You know what I mean? Right, yeah. And there's not a lot of big language barrier when you're a kid anyway. You know mm, I mean? True, yeah. Your friends I learned English pretty quickly. And um, having my parents not understand English, I suppose, was a bit of a benefit, funny enough. Really? Yes. So you'd think it would be a massive disadvantage. You'd think it'd be a massive disadvantage. However, a lot of things you can turn into an advantage. Mm. So what happened was when my parents, they had me as the translator. Okay. So they'd go buy something that I'd be doing the translating and stuff like that and talking and stuff like that. And before I knew it, when I was in my teens, I was negotiating for my parents. But my father was old school, didn't want to negotiate. He said, that's the sticker price, that's what we pay. You know, otherwise you bring shame on yourself. I'm thinking, why pay full retail when you get a discount? It's not in Australian culture either to, to haggle a sticker yeah. price. Yeah, but uh, me personally, I thought, this, why would you pay full price? You know what I mean? So even when I was like 11 or 12, what I'd do is um, we'd have to go... We'd, uh, my father loved buying bits of wood and metal to do projects at home. He used to punish me, make me work all the time. And uh, we were buying this metal, right? And I negotiated the guy, I got a discount, mm-hmm. right? And how old were you when you did that? I was probably about 12. 12 years old. I got a discount. And I said to my dad, look, because of um, it's the beginning of the month, they've actually got a special and they've given you a discount. He was like, oh, great. <laughs> so I had to make up why we're getting a discount every right, time. yeah, yeah. Because he found out that I asked for one and negotiated one. He would have got me in trouble. Happy. I would have yeah. gotten in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. But if I told him that they offered it to him because of, you know, whatever excuse I made up, mm. he'd go, oh, excellent. So I was saving the family money, even from those days. Awesome. So my first business, because I was always business-minded. Right, and yeah. um, I, I was, there was something in me that was entrepreneurial. You know what I mean? Even though my parents weren't entrepreneurial, which is interesting, because they came from a communist country. So they, um, in those days, it was Yugoslavia. That's where Macedonia was. And a communist country, they try to break the entrepreneurial spirit out of you. Right. You know, the communist way of thinking, the socialist way of thinking, is they want everyone to be the same, everyone get the same pay, we're all equal, blah, 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 blah. Don't try to rise above anyone else. And if you've got money, you're a bad person. You know what I mean? there was a very a big stigma when it comes to money, when it comes to communism. Obviously it doesn't work because they're not communists anymore. No, oh, look, they were socialists, not communists, but right. socialism doesn't like How work. long can that actually last in the look, society? Look, you, you end up with a society of people that are lazy yeah. and people that aren't doing their job. Because I remember when I was 10 years old, we went back, That was, and then it was Yugoslavia, and we went there, and you go to a store and people just ignore you because they get paid whether they work or not. So I don't give a shit. I see that a lot in Australia these days too, though, like with people that are on hourly rates. Like if you walk into like a retail store, for example, mm-hmm. they just ignore you and are pretty lazy. But whereas places where they've got obviously a base wage, but then they've got that incentive for commission, mm-hmm. they actually do really good service. Or if they're the business owners, they are really good at service. And they yeah, so, sometimes, sometimes business yeah. owners are hopeless. I've seen some that yeah, are really rude. on the place, really. So with, with um, socialism over there, what happens in socialism is it's a very central bureaucracy. So instead of having the market telling you what's going to happen, what happens is someone up top has got a position, yeah. he's in charge of supply and demand, and he goes, okay, we're going to need this much oil this month. That's how much we're importing. He just picks a number out of the sky. No, he uses some sort of scientific method. But right. you can't... The, with capitalism, what's good about capitalism is supply and demand keeps the balance going. So yeah. in a capitalist society, you've always got supply of what you need. Yeah. Where in communism and socialism, you've always got something that's lacking. So when I was there when it was 10, there was no sugar and no oil. Wow. In the whole country. Because some idiot at the top didn't know what he was doing. Mm. So people were scrounging around to get oil and sugar and you weren't allowed to take import things and no one's allowed to buy and sell things because that's again illegal. That's just a recipe for disaster though. Oh, look... Socialism is a complete recipe for disaster, right? We've learned from the mistakes. We've got to stay away from that crap. You know, mm-hmm. capitalism's not perfect, but it is probably the best system we've got at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great. I mean, <clears throat> I'd love to see what comes next, which is going to be even better. But the one good thing about capitalism, it's got very strong property rights, and that's why it's so powerful. Mm. So entrepreneurship was not in the DNA of no, parents no. at all. But funny enough... Um, 
that's probably what made you interested in it. I know, but why was I interested at seven to be an entrepreneur? Like, that's pretty Because young. your parents knew nothing about and in it. Those, yeah, so anyway, so seven, what happened was my mum was industrious. Right. So she's the one that got me to do a paper run, right? Okay. And then she was helping me out with the paper run and rolling them all up for me. So we used to do the messenger press. So on Wednesdays, we'd deliver the paper and throw it at people. And I had a little area. I have a little map and I'd have to go and to the street. And this was your first business that you yeah. started? Yeah, and then what I did is... um. I was bound. To, I, I could really bang out and roll those papers really quick, especially getting my mum helping me. So then I thought I'd get a few friends from school because we used to get um, like two or three cents per delivery, mm-hmm. per paper. So I'd offer them a cent to do it, and set it all up. So before we knew it, I started growing my territory, and I had this territory, and then one next to it, and the <laughs> other one, and. I had more and more people and I had three or four guys working for me. That's so cool. And I was making $20 a week in the 70s, which was quite a bit of money. Mm. I mean, back in the 70s, you could buy a house for five grand. Wow. Oh, you know man. what I mean? So, um... If I but, had a time machine... <laughs> yeah. So, what happened was, so, that was my first business and I suppose I knew from a young age that it was up to me to become successful. Mm. You know what I mean? So, when we went overseas when I was 10... I was actually cashed up. I had lots of cash with me. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, people were very surprised. Like, I used to go to the Royal Show and I'd, you know, bring a couple of hundred dollars with me, mm. you know, as an eight-year-old. Like, wow, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? Like, most eight-year-olds had, like, 20 cents to their name and I had, like, 200 bucks, like, you know. So I think um, I was lucky because of that. But also, I guess, um, I guess one, of the, one of the things I've always been really into learning, and that was partly from my father and one of my teachers, Right. So my father used to always quiz me. He used to always make me work. I wouldn't, wasn't allowed to play. So I'd always have to help him work and chop some wood and straighten out nails and dig holes and fight bushfires. You know. um, and, um, Fighting a bushfire? Tell us a little bit yeah, more about so that. I guess occupational health and safety was out the window. We had this uh, house that was uh, near the city. And in the back of the house, there was a massive field um, just empty land and in summer there was long grass and it was all dried, dried up yeah, my sun, father yeah. had all these big metal things out the back massive big frames of metal and he was thinking he could cut them up and use the metal for something so he had this extension cord out the, from our house all the way up there but the problem was when he was cutting them the sparks from cutting the metal oh my would, God. Hit, would hit the grass and start fires yeah. So instead of thinking, well, maybe I shouldn't be doing this now, he said, George, your job is to find these sparks and put them out. So did you carry around like a bucket of water? No, I carried it out of towel and I just... Oh, right. right. But one spark was too much and the towel didn't help and it became bigger. Oh, so we had to run God. and get water and pour water on it. So how old were you when you were doing this? I was probably about six or seven. Six or seven year old um, fighting bushfires. Fighting fire. bushfires, yeah. <laughs> oh, my Crazy. God. Well, the funny thing is, when I was five, um, we had chickens, mm. and we grew our own chickens, and we had our own garden, and that was a very traditional sort of like a live village lifestyle. That's what they did in the village. Yeah, yeah and my father Estonia. would kill the chickens and all that, and I'd have to help pluck them and do all that sort of stuff. Mm. And then one day I was five, he goes, come with me. And I come, and he sharpened his knife up. I'm wondering what's going on. Yeah. And he goes, you're going to kill the chicken. And I'm like, I don't want to. I don't want to. <laughs> He goes, what are you, a boy or a man, right? And I'm thinking, I'm a man, right? And he goes, if you want to be a man, you have to do it. And I was thinking, shit, I really want to be a man. I was five years old. I was really scared, but I thought, mm-hmm. I don't want to miss out on being a man and just be a child for the rest of my life because I couldn't do this. You know what I mean? Because you... So anyway, so he was holding the chickens for me and I, and I had the knife and I could feel the roughness of the knife catching into its throat. Oh. I, I can still remember it clearly today, really clearly. Right. And he helped, he helped me because I wasn't strong enough or steady enough to do it. So he yeah. held my hand. So it was really him doing it, but me holding it and him holding my hand. Yeah. And we cut its neck and then it started running around and blood was spurting out and oh. there was blood on me. And I've got a photo of me and he put some blood on my face. Wow. Like initiation, took a photo of me. I still got that photo, and um, the chicken was running around in blood, and I had mixed emotions. Like mm, mm. I thought, wow, I'm a man now, but I felt so sorry for the chicken. I thought that's horrible, and the chicken's yeah. running around like crazy. It was like <laughs> headless chicken. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Oh my god, <laughs> that sounds like a nightmare. First of all, um, I think I will actually have nightmares tonight about that. But 
moving back to your story about how you started your first business. Yeah. I guess then, um, how did that affect the rest of your life after your paper run? Well, look, what was next? On I, was, the cards? I was always an entrepreneur, so yeah. you know what I mean. So um, I wanted to. I was always looking for ways of making money. You know. Mm. So what happened was, um, in high school, that's when computers came out. Okay. Right? Yeah. And computers came out, and everyone was into computers. I had a Commodore sixty four, which is pretty exciting. And what year was this in? Okay, so this was in nineteen eighty four. Okay, because I remember computers coming out when I was at school, but that would have been like nineteen nineties, mid nineties. Yeah. yeah. So this there was no computers at school, but computers became there was a thing called PC, a personal computer. Right. Right. So what happened then is there was IBM, Apple. Commodore, Amstrad, Spectrum. There was heaps of companies. Commodore, was that named after the car? No. Or the other C- way around? Commodore, Commodore is a classy name. That's what they use it. Oh, so Commodore okay. was a... Um, if, if you were a Commodore, you had a very high rank. I right, think in the Navy right. or something. Okay. So Commodore was... That's why they named the car after it and the computer, because it meant top of the range. A bit like Grange is top of the range. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Commodore was... You got Commodore, you got Grange. Those two things are very high distinctions. Mm-hmm. So, um... When personal computers came out, there was actually quite a few companies trying to hit the computer market. Heaps. Yeah. So there was lots of variety. There was all sorts of stuff. So there was like 10 different companies trying to get people to buy their computers. It wasn't like now. Not just Apple and Microsoft. Yeah. yeah. Right. So there was quite a few. It was like IBM, wasn't there? Um, well, there was, there was IBM, there was Amstrad, there was Spectrum, there was Commodore... There was the Amiga, which was separate from the Commodore, but then got bought out by them. And then there was um, Atari, but they didn't have a they only had a, con- a game console. It wasn't a computer. Oh right. And the, my my thing about computers, I wanted to play games. That's what I wanted. Mm-hmm. But the Atari had a console. You could plug in a thing and do it. And then the Commodore sixty four, you could program it. And I thought I'd rather get something I could program. You know what I mean? Okay. And I, you know, so I was 13 but at the time. But did you know how to program? No, no. I was 13 at the time. Yeah. And I thought, that's what I want. So I said to my dad, look, if you want me to do well in school, I need a computer. Mm-hmm. He said, look, <laughs> you need a computer for school, we're getting one. Done. I can just picture how heavy that thing must have been to lug around. No, no. It wasn't that wasn't heavy it? at all. It was very light. It was about that big, made out of plastic. Okay. Right? And then you had a tape drive. So the, the, the information was on a tape. Right. So let's say you wanted to load a game. You put a tape in there and you type in, um, hello, load game, blah, blah, blah. Press play and then go go play for half an hour. Come back and it'll be loaded on the computer, right? <laughs> and it had 64 kilobytes, which was one of the most powerful computers, but nothing. Mm-hmm. Like, your phone's got gigs now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. then what I did is I, I got some books on programming and started programming my own games. Okay. Right? Yeah. So what I'd do is, um, and you'd have to program the whole lot. And if you did one mistake, it was gone. Yeah, because if you broke like the code, right? Yeah, yeah, one code. So what I did is I got my sister to type it in and I'd just tell her what to type. <laughs> <laughs> I was always going to delegate her. Delegation, right? Delegation, yeah. So then what happened was um, there was a lady across the road and she had some um, pirated software. All right? So I is this just... where you like burn the CDs? This was about way before CDs. This was floppy disks, oh my the God. big ones. Okay, right? I don't even know what they okay. are. There used to be this big floppy disks that were like that, five and a quarter inch. Right? I've never even seen one of those in my life. And they were floppy because they were floppy, right? Yeah. And what happened was, um, I learned this hack that what you do with a floppy disk, mm-hmm. if you got a, a square hole punch and punched on the other side, you could swap it around and double the storage. What? Yes. What an awesome hack. That's crazy. So I used to buy the floppies and then. Punch, hole punch it and then have double the amount of storage on both sides I don't understand how that works but I don't it understand worked. the technology uh, there so. Was, yeah so anyway it worked so <laughs> yeah. this lady she was really Genius. nice so I'd go in there and yeah. I'd say oh you know can I have this game it should go great and I'd go get enough one and before you know I just had everything she had I just grabbed and right. copied copied the shit out of it because I got this myself a hard drive that was mm. like that big and heavy mm. and I started copying games and I thought what a great business idea mm. Right, because discs were pretty expensive in those days. But if you bought them in bulk, they were cheaper. So I'd buy them in bulk, a pack of ten. That was bulk for me, right? And then I'd double side them, yeah. so I had double the space. And then what I'd do is I'd sell games to kids at school. Cool. And they got two for the price of one because I'd have one on one side, one on the other side, right? Because mm-hmm. I double sided it. And I'd say, look, 
how much the disc costs, you know, a dollar something, mm -hmm. but you're getting two on one disc for like five bucks with, a ga with two games on it. So a really good deal. So that's one of my businesses. You know, I was a pirate. <laughs> so you were a pirate when you were 13? I'm um, 14, next, 15, yeah, I was a pirate. That was your then. next business? Yep, I was then a pirate. What was your next business after that? <laughs> well, what happened was um, I met this guy um, that was uh, really good at computers. Mm -hmm. And in those days, there was no internet. But there was these things called BBX bulletin boards where you could dial in on your computer. So I'd, I had this modem where it was um, about that big and you get your phone and you put your phone on it and mm -hmm. the modem would go and make noises and communicate. And I downloaded this program. I had an Amiga. I upgraded to Amiga after that because that was an amazing computer, totally amazing. So then I upgraded to Amiga and I downloaded this program where what it would do is you could program any phone that you want in there, phone numbers, mm -hmm. and you'd ring, you'd ring um, a telephone that was disconnected. And when it, when it said, this number's disconnected, this number's disconnected, after the second time, there'd be a slight pause. We'd go, Kh, right? You pray the tone that communicates to the computer, goes through that number, and you can dial anywhere in the world free of charge. Oh, wow. So then what I did is I phoned, I put down my top 10 numbers on a dictaphone, mm -hmm. and I'd be able to go to any phone box and call anywhere in the world or Australia from any phone box in the world. But who on earth did you have to call overseas? Um, no one. <laughs> Uh, I, I wanted the ability. I, I was yeah. into. Yeah. I wasn't doing it to get free calls. I was doing it because I enjoyed um, hacking and doing things yeah, different. Yeah, yeah, gotcha. You know what I mean? That's what it's all about. Mm. But it came in handy when I was interstate. Because I used to call people using a dictaphone. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yes. And pretty cool. Yes. So anyway, let's go back to property. Yeah. We've really we diverged. haven't even moved on to property yet. Yeah, but so, we're talking about entrepreneurship because yeah. so um, I knew from a young age that I had to even be an entrepreneur yeah, yeah, or yeah. a property investor. Mm -hmm. And those things go hand in hand. And sort of think outside of the think box. Think outside the box because mm -hmm. I wasn't I wasn't gonna inherit a fortune. Yeah, gotcha. And um and what so, got you wanted to property investing then? Okay, look, I always wanted to invest in property because I remember when I was like 15 or 16, I entered this lottery mm -hmm. to win a $60,000 Commodore. Right. And I thought to myself, if I win this Commodore, I'm selling it. This is the car we're talking about yep. now. <laughs> yep. If I win this car, I'm going to sell it and buy a house. Wow. That's my third And back thought. then you could have brought, what, like two or three houses because they were so cheap? Back then, houses, well, the Commodore was, no, I don't know if it was worth 60, I'm, I exaggerate, it could be maybe 20 or 30,000. Oh, right. But houses in those days were like 40, 50 grand. Yeah, right. So, yeah, you could have so, swapped it literally yeah, for a house. Yeah, for a house, yeah. yeah. It was amazing that cars and houses weren't very different in price. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I always thought, I'd love to, I'd rather buy a house, rent it out, and make some money. Mm. It just, to me, made sense. Yeah, because cars go down in value and houses go up in value. Exactly. And, and you I, could see that from a young age. Intuitively, I knew that. I could tell. You know mm. what I mean? It's a, it just amazes me that so many people, like today, don't even realise that cars go down in value and property goes up in value. Totally. They I mean, don't grasp crazy. that simple, simple concept. Look, so some cars do go up in value. Yeah, I was going to say, right. there's the exception of obviously like and the older cars, cars and yes, things like is. that. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, you know, your average yeah. run of the day car. Because a lot of the banks in England, what they did is they bought up all these cars and these car parks and filled them up with these old cars. And they're going to leave them there for like 30, 40 years. Because if they're in mint condition, you leave them there 30, 40 years, they got quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And there's cars, the old Monaro, that's like used to cost four grand. Now it's worth five hundred thousand. Mm. But I, I it, have but, no doubt that but, there but, are but, classic no, 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 cars no, no. that can go But up if you bought a house for four grand, then <laughs> that'd be worth two mil now. So yeah. Yeah. even though the car went up a lot, if you bought a house, it'd still be worth more. Yeah, yeah. That's Interesting. Fact. Yeah. So um, yeah. So cars and houses weren't a lot different in the seventies. Yeah, but now there's so my a parents. Difference. My parents bought a house for two grand, and the car. They bought a house for two thousand dollars. Yes. Are you serious? And the, that car they bought was four hundred dollars. Wow. You know what I mean? Like crazy. <laughs> I don't. So anyway, so I always knew that anyway. So mm -hmm. um. Yep. So you I, wanted to obviously swap the car for the house. So. Yeah, but it didn't happen. I didn't win. You didn't so, win. Okay. but you know. So, the amount, of, the, amount, the, the amount of times I've got into the lottery or something thinking, what am I going to do with all this money? But like, it never, ever happens. So, <laughs> you plan how you're going to spend it. Yeah. yeah. Good fun though, isn't it? Mm. So anyway, so in my 20s, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was doing a lot of sales jobs and everything else like that. And 
um, when I moved back to Adelaide, I thought, now's the time to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And um, I looked around and, and, and I, found, I found this beautiful old bluestone villa, a thousand square metres, massive yard where you yeah, couldn't nice. even see the back of the yard. It was wow. right near the city, old bluestone villa, beautiful. 14 foot ceilings, fantastic. And it was going up for auction and I was working at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, I rang the agent and said, look, I want to bid for this. And I was doing an event in Shepparton. So we're doing this massive event and I'm running the event. So people were relying on me and I'm trying to bid on this house. I've got the door shut. Like over the phone. Yes. You weren't even there in person no. bidding. You were doing yep. it over the phone. Yep. Yeah, I'm bidding on the phone and people are knocking on the door going, George, we need you. And I'm like bidding on the phone, trying to get this happening, right? Wow. And um, I hit it really hard and bought this house for $179,000. Yeah, which is nothing. But at the time it was a lot of money. Yeah. Right? And yeah, I was thinking, yeah. oh, wow, $170,000. Hope it's the right thing. Oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. you know... But I wanted the house and I thought, stuff it, I'm going to get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, luckily, I bought it, I'm glad, because um, now it's probably worth 850000 If not a million. No, about 850000 In a really good location. Yeah, it's a great location, mm. but it's probably worth eight fifty. Okay, yeah. Yep. So what's happened is the it peaked, then it's gone down again now, yeah, recently. Yeah. So it's going to go up again pretty yeah, soon. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, you got those regular cycles, you know what I mean, mm. that I know about now, but I didn't know at the time. Yeah, right. Okay. So I didn't know what I was doing, but I bought it at the right time. Yeah. If I had a time machine and went back, I would have just bought a whole heap more property. You know what I mean? But I didn't know what I was doing at the time, so I bought that property and then... Um, Were and you renting it out or did you buy no, it to live in? No, I bought it to live in. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't know about... Investment properties. Investment then. properties right. as well. Yeah, no. yeah. So I started buying investment properties, but I was negative gearing. Right. So you'd buy properties, one cost you three hundred grand, three hundred dollars a week. Next one, two hundred dollars a week, and that was normal in those days. Yeah, because is that like what everyone else was doing? Like that's strategy? what everyone else is doing. That's what everyone else does still today. They buy a house and lose money every week. Yeah. Okay. So, and then before you know it, I had all these houses, and I was working seven days a week to right. pay for my properties. And I was thinking, there's something wrong here. You know what I mean? You're buying them to create like more freedom. Well, I was buying properties so I knew that. Property is the only way to really make money. Mm. I mean, you can make money in business, which yeah. I was doing, but what do you do with that money? If you leave it in the bank, it shrinks. So putting the bank stupid. So tell us more about how it shrinks if you put it in the bank, because a lot okay. of people wouldn't understand that concept. Um, because okay, so let's say for example, if I've got a hundred grand in the bank now, right, mm-hmm. and um, I've got a hundred thousand, the interest rate at the moment is really low. It's like five percent or less. No, 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 that. it's about two and a half percent. Wow, okay. So, if I keep it in the bank for a year, I'm going to make 2500 Right. Wow. However, that 100000 a year can't buy what I can buy now for 100000 Right. Right? Because of inflation. Things have gone up in price. So, most things go up in price, mm. right? Except a lot of consumable goods because of... Um, so, for example, TVs... They've gone down in price. Yeah. But the good ones, the all new, the biggest, best of the best, always are of higher value. Mm-hmm. But you know, plasma TV cost twenty grand twenty years ago, and now you can buy an LED for five grand. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. But houses go up, mm-hmm. and people make this massive mistake, right? Which is crazy. They try to save a bigger deposit to get a house, but the problem is the house is growing faster than you can save, so you can never catch it. Yeah, and you right. miss out. Because what happens is, if there's a house worth 500000 now, well, in a year's time, it's more than likely to go up. So, and if it goes up 50, right? 10%, let's say it goes up 5%. Yeah. 25 grand, right? You can't save 20, an extra 25 grand. So you're losing money by waiting. And leaving that money in the bank. Yeah. Yes, okay, and leaving yeah. that money in the bank. Mm-hmm. So the problem with putting money in the bank, it shrinks. And what you can buy now you can't buy in 12 months. Mm. And in 10 years, it's, it's worth it's nothing. It's amazing to have that, that foresight and actually you know, connect the dots. That's say, right. Okay, I've got this much money in the bank, but if I leave it in the bank in a year's time or two years' it's gonna time, shrink, yeah. it's not going to be able to buy what it can today. Yep. So. And then I thought shares. And I thought shares is so complicated. Mm-hmm. The problem is you've got to know about the business and the P&I and everything else like that. The other challenge with shares is 
the people at the top, all the billionaires, they control it all. Mm-hmm. So if you're lucky, you can make some money. Yeah. But if you're a mum and dad investor in the share market, you're going in blind. You've got a blindfold and you're cruising around. And if you make money, it's just because of luck. Mm. It's not very different from gambling. Slightly better, but not a lot better. Right. And then I thought, okay, what's that thing? They don't say safe as shares, do they? No. No. <laughs> um, they say safe as houses. Um, if you go to a bank and want to borrow money to buy shares, you need a house as collateral. But if you've got shares as collateral, they won't give you a house. No. They won't give you money for a house. You need the house as collateral. Yeah. So the banks are pretty smart. And they know what's going on. They know something we don't. <laughs> yeah. And also, shares can yeah. go down to zero. Yeah. So people can... There could be a company called XYZ, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a great company. Then the CEO might say something stupid mm-hmm. and go on Twitter or something. And before you know it, everyone changed their mind about the company. And it could go down to zero and, and it's finished. Just go... Finished. Pew. And now, but with property... Doesn't matter how you feel about the property, you might change your mind and think property shit, but you need to live somewhere anyway. You've got no choice. Yeah, people need somewhere to live. They need somewhere to live. Fundamental so need. It's a fundamental need, and because of that, it can never go down to zero. Properties can go down, but never down to zero. So yeah, I thought right. property is a real safe bet. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad I did it. But I did it wrong. But even doing it wrong, I was still doing well. It was better than not doing it at all. So yes. you had. Um, like several properties that yeah. were all sort of I had four or five properties and they were costing me money and I was working seven days a week yeah. and I was stuck and I thought okay I've got two doors now mm-hmm. door number one is abandon property and give up Yeah. but if you quit you're guaranteed to lose aren't you yeah of course no one no one, no one, um, no one actually became successful through quitting have they no of course no, not exactly <laughs> <laughs> that'd be funny wouldn't it a, imagine that book I became successful through quitting <laughs> So no one became successful at quitting. Mm-hmm. So I knew that was an option for me. So yeah. I had to choose door two. You know, really work property out and make and learn how to make money in a really cool way. Right. And then came to my million dollar decision. So what was the multi-million dollars? Okay, well actually it was three decisions. Mm-hmm. First step was to really figure out this property stuff. Right. You know what I mean? Really work it out and make it into a science and not just do it. Because all I used to do is go in the paper and go, oh yeah, this property here and just buy one. Yeah, you're sort of just doing it randomly. I was dabbling. I wasn't all in. I was dabbling. I wasn't all in. I didn't have a tried and tested system. Mm -hmm. I was just doing what everyone else does. Yeah. Buying property and hoping. Right. Right? But it's not a really good plan. No. At all. Hoping. You need to really know what you're doing to get the maximum out of it. Mm -hmm. Of course. And, you know, lots of people, you know, buying and hoping lose tens of thousands of dollars. You know, yeah. it's crazy because buying the wrong type of property in the wrong area at the wrong time, those three things, you're done. Mm. You're finished. Mm. And, and I the think problem that's is, why a lot of people have a bad experience well, as well. The problem is if you do it wrong to begin with, that could set you back 10 or 20 years. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you haven't got 10 or 20 years, you're screwed. Yeah, definitely. But if you do it right, you can save 10 or 20 years mm. and really make a massive difference. So the second thing I did is I decided to ignore everyone else giving property advice. Right. Because they're all sort of, they didn't have runs on the board and they're all... And the um, funniest thing is a lot of people have an opinion, but they've never actually invested in property themselves. Well, the, the problem is, you know, I went to all these seminars and everything else like that. And I remember I went to one seminar and I bought this big box of VHS tapes and manuals. And there was like 50 different strategies on property. And I brought it home, put it in my lounge room and put one tape in. And I started learning it all. And it was like 50 different strategies. What do I do? And they were all good on paper in real life didn't quite work right so this whole you can make a hundred grand overnight and do this and do you know buy options and all this get rich quick stuff and property yeah personally I think it's a load of bullshit it's very risky and yes some people do get there but most people lose money doing this mm, mm. there's no such thing as free lunch and it sounds like a full there's no there's, well. no there's no quick way to do it right so the third thing I did is I decided to find people that actually had real life results that I wanted. So I thought I wanted to find people that invested in property and have got a good lifestyle from it and didn't work full time doing it. Mm, right. Because I'm not a fan of complicated strategies that take hours of my time. And people that know me for a while probably realise that. <laughs> but um, I wanted the quickest way of point A to point B. Mm. And I didn't want to spend all my spare time investing and renovating. Because I tried that. I did the renovation, I did the flipping, I did the building and all that sort of stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And so what I did is I went on a bit of a journey. Mm-hmm. And there was one guy in particular from Melbourne who had houses all around the world and did very well out of property and was retired. And he was younger than me. 
And I thought, wow, you know, this is pretty cool. And um, so he was living in Florida at the time, in Miami, in the same building as uh, David Beckham. Ooh. And so I contacted him, sent him a message, said, look, I'm going to be in town. Let's catch up for coffee. But yeah. actually, I went down especially to see him. But he didn't realise that. <laughs> You're like, hey, I'm just in the neighbourhood. That's right. You so know. we caught up and, you know, we're having these martinis at this awesome, um, awesome place there in Miami. And um, he was buying all these martinis. And I go, okay, my shout. I'm like, here you go. Um, here's 50. Keep the change. You know, US dollars. The lady goes, that's not enough. I'm thinking, wow, how much, are, how much are we spending here? Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, but obviously, he had the money, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I learned a lot of principles of him and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I, get, I got these principles and put them together. And it was sort of like, um, when you look at property investing, um, wealth is like a stool, top. Right. And yeah. then you've got legs that are on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And... You need legs to keep it stable, mm-hmm. right? Different pillars. That's what I call pillars. And um, what happens is in the good times, you can do anything and make money out of property. Mm. That's, the, that's the thing. So anyone can look like a hero and you can just buy anything and make money. It will go up if, you, if you're just lucky and awesome, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is if the weather gets bad and um, it gets a bit dicey, the more pillars you've got with your strategy the stronger mm. it's going to be. Right. And some people have got one pillar and it's okay, it gets a bit windy, it falls over. They've got two pillars, it's stronger. But if you've got the three pillars mm. and um, the three pillars, um, if you've got the right strategy mm-hmm. and if you've got capital growth and cash flow, those three areas down pat, then you can stay safe no matter what happens. So strategy, strategy capital growth, capital growth and cash, and, and cash flow. flow. They're the three pillars. Yeah. That's what you've got to focus on when it comes to property investing. Those three pillars are very important. Now, if you've got those three pillars, it doesn't matter what happens to the economy, you're going to make money anyway. Right. See, yeah. during the GFC, and after I learned these pillars, and in each of these pillars, there's three different strategies. And how did that change, I guess, more or less, the properties from you losing the money each week? Yeah, so if you if, if you really got the right principles, I started buying properties for $30 a week. Instead of paying like three hundred dollars, that's a week. right. Massive difference because then you can buy more than one without pressure. Yeah. But wow. also after a year they go up, so they cost you nothing. So what the heck is this strategy? How do you? What is it? Yeah. Okay. So what it is, um, it's a bit. I'm not going to be able to explain it all now. But mm-hmm. during this podcast, I'm going to go through all the different pillars. So there's twelve different principles right. that you got to follow, and these twelve principles are like twelve commandments of property. Right. And really, if you follow those, you can't go wrong. Mm. They're really amazing. And um, I was lucky to sort of extract them from different people and codify them and yeah, make them into yeah. a system. And if you follow these four principles, you're really safe because you can turn a negative property positive. And if, if you get the right structure and you get your timing right and get it in the right area for less than $30 a week. I mean, think about this. If you've got a property mm-hmm. and it's going up only 5% a year, Right. right, five to 10% a year, because properties average seven to 10% a year. Every seven or 10 years, the property's gonna double. And if you can get a property for $30 a week and it's doubling in 10 years, you're laughing. Yeah, and I'm being conservative here. Mm. I mean, I've had properties double in two years. I bought a property in Perth and it was costing me about 220,000. Went up to 500 in two years. Wow. It was awesome. I bought that over the phone. Again, another yeah, one brought over the I know. phone. <laughs> I know. I'm, look, I'm, I'm not advocating buying on the phone, but yeah. nothing's perfect. And I always end up buying them on the phone sometimes. Reason. But it's something sort of profound about buying over the phone or whatever, not actually being there physically and seeing the property. Well, look, if you get your numbers right, your principles right, yeah, then yeah. it doesn't matter. Yeah. But if you don't know what you're doing, yeah. looking at it's not going to help. No, of course not. <laughs> Do you understand? Not. Like... <laughs> Looking at a property doesn't help. Knowing the numbers and the research is what helps. Right. That's yeah, the yeah. difference. So people, see a lot of people um, get confused. Yeah. And they yeah. think, okay, I want a property near me so I can look at it and drive past it. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to drive past it? That doesn't add value to the property at all. No. Not that I've seen it. Like I've never <laughs> seen, okay, I've driven past this property 20 times. Now it's worth hundred grand more. It doesn't matter. The property doesn't care if you drive past it. No. Looking at the property, unless you've got some magic ability and look at the property and know it's going to make money. Well, looking at the property doesn't help either. No. 
It doesn't, obviously. But doing the right research and having the yeah. right numbers and knowing yeah. what to buy, how to buy, when to buy, that's the key. Mm-hmm. So with my system now, I don't need to go to a property. Mm. But, you know, when you first start out, you might want to do that to feel comfortable, mm-hmm. right? But me, my comfort comes with numbers and the research. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if I know this is going to go up, I mean, when you buy stocks, you don't go look at the company. You don't fly down. No. Yeah. So, I mean, think yeah. about it. Like, you know, imagine you bought um, stocks in Apple. You're not going to fly to wherever their head office is and go visit them and say, hey, let's check it out. Yeah. Oh, now that I've seen Apple, I'm okay. I'm good to go. I can invest. <laughs> or Google. You don't go to the headquarters, do you? No. So property, what's the difference? You know what mm. I mean? Look, if you're buying a property to live in, you want to look at it. Obviously, yeah. Because you want to know you're going to like it. You know what I mean? But if it's an investment, you don't need to physically see it. Not, not necessarily. Mm. I'm not saying it's bad to look at it, but it's not. I don't know if it's going to help. Because I, I get a qualified building inspector to look at mine before I finish. Because mm. he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Mm. So the key is, I suppose, is one of the things that I do is I outsource everything to professionals. Right. Right? So that way I'm spending less than 10 minutes a week on my properties. I get them to do all the hard work. Yeah, awesome. It's a tax deduction. How did you find numbers. the right team? Oh, look, it took, took me many years to find the right team. But having a circle of safety and a team of professionals that uh, know how to work with each other is very, very important. One of the strategies that's important. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? You don't want to go willy-nilly or get the wrong people. Some people just don't know what they're doing. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? And these days, finance is very difficult. And you've got to be very smart the way you navigate finance to get it right. Okay. Because the more properties you have, the harder it is. Right. You know? And... As you know, seventy percent of people that join our program think they can't get the can't get the finance, don't know how to, until we coach them through. Yeah, yeah, because we have to guide them through it. Mm. You know, because you can't get a square peg and put in a round hole. Mm. So Mm. with finance, you've got to look at what shape that peg is and put it in the right hole, the right financier, the right way, and everything else like that. You've got to get it right. Yeah, very important. And being market ready is so important because when the market's booming, you want to be able to take advantage of things and get the property but um you know it's always been an aspirational dream of everyone in australia to own a property Mm. and so using the system Mm -hmm. right i ended up with 10 properties at 37 and with 10 properties i was making one hundred eighty thousand dollars a year without getting out of bed wow boom that's awesome awesome. yeah that was awesome so i thought excellent and i wanted to live on the beach and properties then were about 1.82 million dollars on the beach and I did the calculations and it cost me probably 130, 140,000 if I bought a property with all the interest, 7% at the time and um, council rates, all that other stuff. And I thought, well, I'm making 180. And if I spend 140 on my dream home, I've only got 40 left, which is $800 a week, not a lot of money. No. So instead what I did is I ended up renting a property for $1,000 a week. Okay. Then I had 130,000 left over to spend. Which yeah, is, awesome. Which is pretty good money in those days. Mm-hmm. You know, that was 10 years ago. And, um, and that's why that um, article in realestate.com, they did an article calling the property guru, what do they say? <laughs> um, they help people retire in their 30s, which yeah, I do. Yeah. But they said that I rented, which I did. But, every, time, but, every, yeah. but everyone thinks that I'm renting still, right? Yeah. <laughs> and what I did is I pulled out 350000 and put it into an offset account out of the equity of one of the properties and then used that money to buy a convertible Porsche to travel around the world and party. I mean... If I went back in time, there's one thing I'd do. I'd probably spend more money. I was too really? conservative. Wow. Yeah, I was too conservative. Okay. Because when you've got money in an offset account the right way, it protects mm. you. And I did it that way on purpose because I thought, I've got no job. This is my only income. So I need an offset account as a buffer. What would have you have spent money on? Just as a side note. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> You're saying sure. you wish you had spent more money. I don't know. To yeah. be honest with you, I don't know. But... Sounds like you had the right balance. So. You know me. I like to spend money. You do. <laughs> I enjoy it. I mean, I if there's anything I really want, I'm fortunate enough to just be able to get it, mm, you know, mm. which is great. And, you know, I think that a lot of people get confused and they're like, oh, you know, money's not important, blah, blah, blah. You've got the seven areas of your life, right? Mm-hmm. And money is one of the cornerstones in the capitalist society that you need to help you with everything else. Yeah. Right? So... I don't like money for the sake of it. I like what money can do for me. It gives you the lifestyle. Well, it gives exactly because you can have lots of money, but you haven't got time. Mm. You got no lifestyle because there's lots of people. I know people that work seventy hours a week. They earn lots of money, but they they they've got no time to spend it. The money. Yeah, what's the point? 
Right, and they paddle and tax anyone. Because they've got no idea. You know, and then you got people. And then you got people that are unemployed, have got lots of time, mm. but they got no money. You can see, you can't really do a lot. But when you got money and time, those two things together, that is the key to creating more meaning in your life. Absolutely. And yeah. meaning is important. So a lot of people confuse money and go, "Oh well, you know, if you want money, you know, you're a bad person or whatever." There's nothing wrong with money. It's a good thing. Um, and but money is just a tool. Let's remember, you know, you can't a, eat money. No, no, you it can't eat it. Yeah. But but it's a tool, and, it does, and but it does give you more meaning because if yeah. you're too busy slaving around trying to make money, you can't create more meaning. And I was fortunate when I retired, I had enough money to pay off my parents' home because they did it the old way, and they saved money, didn't go out, and every cent they put into the mortgage, and, right. right? And did it the old way. And then I made all this money. I said, Mum and Dad. And I just paid off their mortgage in one stroke like that. How awesome. And then bought them a car and said, look, go on a holiday around Australia. You have to. And I forced them to go on a holiday. And then after that, I took my parents overseas. Twice, actually, to Macedonia, That's which was so cool. awesome. Yeah. And I lost my mother three years ago, which was very sad. But mm. I was very fortunate that I retired at a young age, youngish, 37. I retired and had the money and the time to spend quality time with her. Yeah, so while at least she while she was alive, which yeah. was awesome. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't get to do. And would you, know? you attribute, I guess, um, investing in property and having that income from investing in property to part of your success of obviously having the money to then be able to have the lifestyle and the freedom to have more meaning in your life? Yes, totally. Absolutely. So you use property as your vehicle for wealth creation, in other yes, words. Yes, so property um, is the one cornerstone that has helped me get the lifestyle that I want to, which is awesome. Like, I'm very fortunate. Mm, I, I'm, mm. I'm very grateful every day to live um, a very abundant life and an awesome life, which is great. And property was the key. Yeah, Without awesome. property, I would not be living the life I've got. And, um, you know, so what happened was, um, like, for example, when I met Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, he was telling me the story where he actually made his success out of property too. So what happened was um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, he was a bodybuilder, as we know. <laughs> yes. I'll be back. I resisted not to say that to him when I met him, by the way. Thank so, God um, for that. I know. So anyway, so um, he was a bodybuilder and then there was a, some sort of natural disaster in California. Right. And he started a business where he was helping people rebuild their retaining walls and houses and stuff like that. And he got all the bodybuilders because they had lots of muscles to work. That business made him the money and through that he bought property and through property had financial freedom so he could pursue his acting career. Mm -hmm. And if it wasn't for property, he couldn't have got where he was with acting because he was a bodybuilder with a funny accent. So it was actually a lot holding him back. But he had the time to get the right roles and work hard instead of some B-grade roles. Because the problem is, once you get too many shit roles, then you're stuffed. Mm. And he reckons that was his whole success was property. Wow, yeah. yeah. So when I was retired, I was partying, having a good time, flying around the place and everything else like that, and everything else like that. And I suppose I lost, even though I gained meaning at the beginning, yeah, yeah. I lost a bit of meaning afterwards. Right, yeah. So I, when I first started, I was finding things to do, and I did, um, uh, with my best friend Belinda, what we did is we did a, a charity documentary for Channel 9 for Kicking With Kids, which is part of Variety Club. And we raised $225,000 for children with special needs. That's amazing. Which is awesome, right? That's awesome. And we did a documentary, we were on TV, and it was a lot of fun. And we, yeah. and we got to go on Kangaroo Island, and we had all these famous people, famous basketballers and rock stars, and uh, we had like Dave Gleason from Screaming Jets one night playing acoustic guitar at the fireplace, only three or four of us around him. How cool, yeah. It was amazing. Like, things that you could never get. But I lost a bit of meaning, and I was getting up later and getting lazy, and and I was searching for meaning, right. my purpose. Mm. And then um, I was lucky enough to go to a dinner with Tim Ferriss in Melbourne. For those of who, you who don't know Tim Ferriss. Yeah, Tim Ferriss. <laughs> the guy's a genius. He's um, author of the four-hour work week. Yep. And when he was there at dinner, at first he was a little bit shy. Yeah. And we had a couple of red wines. And once we had a few red wines, he really opened up. And the guy's got an amazing personality. He's a genuine guy, mm. really great guy, and very, very smart. And... I was having a chat to him and, and he said, George, you got it all wrong. But he said it in a nice way. 
because, you know, I said, look, the four-hour work week, because you only work four hours a week, well, I work nothing a week, right? And he goes, well, the four-hour work week is about, not about only doing four hours of work a week mm. and sitting on your ass and doing nothing else or working out or whatever. It's about doing four hours of what you don't want to do, but the rest of the time you want to get up early and start playing with your passion. Right. Right. So I'm thinking, hmm, interesting. And he goes, look, if, you, if the world needs it, if you love it, if you're great at it, and you get paid for it, that's your purpose. Awesome. So coming away from that, I thought, what is my purpose? What am I great at? What does the world need? Right? What do I love doing? And duh, hello, property. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I thought, why don't I help people invest in property and mm. try on my secrets? Because a lot of people are asking, right? Yeah. So yes. I decided to formalise and came up with a positive property blueprint. Mm-hmm. And I formalised it and got it out there. And that's where you started Positive Property Solution Australia. That's right. And I guess my goal was to create 500 property millionaires. And what I mean by millionaires, it's just a word. I want to create 500 people mm-hmm. that have got the money and the time and the meaning in their life. Because when people create more meaning, they're doing more good in the world. That's just the fact of it. When you've got more money and time, you can create more good in the world and influence other people. And if I could help 500 people get more meaning and money and freedom, then that's going to impact a lot more people. That's my way of doing it. Everyone's got their own way of doing it. You mm. know, some people want to feed the starving children. I mean, I'm on the board of I Play Sport, so I'm, I'm, I'm involved with a lot of charities as well. Mm-hmm. And I love giving the charities and helping out. I really, personally, I like helping charities where I can see the impact I have. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I feel a bit dubious that some of those big charities that take money off you and they're going to help some starving children in Africa and apparently out of $100, you know, one cent goes to them and the rest mm. of it goes to admin fees. The charity I'm involved in, 100% goes to the people that we help. Right, yeah. Because everyone's working for free. We don't get paid on the board. And that's the sort of charity I want to do. Mm. You know what I mean? And I, I think local charity is good for me anyway because I can see... You know I'm what's doing. happening. I know yeah. what's happening and yeah. I, I like that. And I think it's less friction. You're in there on the ground floor. I think if the charity's too far away, yeah. there's too many steps in the chain where people are getting paid and taking cuts and money and diminishing it to almost zero. There's a lot of multi-million dollar, billion dollar companies that are charity companies. They've got CEOs getting paid 500000 a year, a million dollars a year. And I don't know if that's really the right way to go. Right. I don't know. I'm not saying it's the wrong way to go, but I think everyone's doing their own thing in their own way. Yeah, and I think the more of us that can do things like that, the better. I mean, I love helping local people. I think um, one thing you and I have spoken about and I think it's important is I think the way to have the mass, a big impact on the world is having more rights and education for women in the third world. Oh, absolutely. Because mm. a lot of um, taboo traditions and religion is standing in the way. Mm, mm. And women are teaching their kids mm. so if we can make that's going to be the biggest impact we can have in the world and I'd love to be able to do something like that because mm. I think it's very very important I think great we've got women's rights in the first world and yes now they're looking I don't know what's going on with feminism in the first world to be honest with you. <laughs> you know what I mean that's a whole nother topic another, another podcast yeah. I mean getting offended by something open door for you yeah you should you should, you should embrace that and say great <laughs> you know we should what think of getting offended about something that's really mm. important but I think what we need to do is really focus our focus on the women of the third world and mm. bring mm. them up because I think that's the key yeah I th- but if people are too busy worrying about how they're going to pay bills then there's no way they can think up on that higher level and think how can they impact the world on a higher level so I think that's where we come back to property totally and I mean, having that as the cornerstone of obviously we live in a capitalist society and having investment properties to take care of the money side of your life means then you're not stressed about little things like paying bills or you know having enough money to go out for dinner and things like that paying bills i mean i remember when i was living in sydney back in the 90s and at the end of the month all my bills would start piling up and every time i saw a bill in the pit of my stomach i felt almost sick Mm. i didn't like it It was horrible and then i'd open them all up and I'd have to pay all my money out. And I paid all this tax and I paid everything else like that. And I've had no property or no nothing to balance it out. Mm. And I used to hate paying bills. It's horrible. And I thought to myself, you know what? I really need to change this. I want to find a way to enjoy paying bills. And now I actually enjoy it. 
because the reason being is I actually use the bills to pay up my mortgage quicker with rapid mortgage reduction. So paying bills to me is easy now. And you can see, you see how many bills I have now. Mm, mm. Heaps. When yeah, got, the more when properties you've got, you got, got, the 14, more bills you've got. When you've got, got 14 yeah. properties and several yeah. businesses, a lot of bills coming in. But it doesn't matter as long as you know what you're doing. And now paying bills is fun. I don't care. Mm. It doesn't make any difference to me at all. And I suppose running a business has taken a bit of my time out now. Mm-hmm. And what I, what I really want to work on now is automating more of the business so I can impact more people. And I've got more time to focus on bigger goals. Mm. Um, one, having a lot of fun and traveling, um, personal development, health, but also seeing how we can impact women in the third world and mm. help them get more rights and more freedom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think that's a keystone. And if we can think of something, that'd be great. And if anyone, if any of our audience can help us, that'd be awesome as well. Because mm. I think um, the key, it's like Maslow's needs. You know, mm-hmm. once you get up that triangle, when you get more successful you want to give more and help more. That's what, it's only natural. And yeah, you get a lot of satisfaction. have more impact. Yeah, Look, definitely. More purpose. We, we get a, I get a lot of satisfaction at helping mm. people. I love it. And it's really good. I love it when we get someone joining our program and they've got no idea. And the confidence and their happiness level goes up. And you see them two years later and they've bought two or three houses and they've one's gone up 40 grand, the other's gone up this much. And But not only that, know. it has an impact on the rest of their life in other areas and they usually get better, higher paying jobs as well. Yeah, I know. Because they've got the confidence through investing in property. Oh, look, I, I, I really enjoy the impact we have on people and how mm. we can help change people's lives. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. When you look at those seven areas, we could have hit another area which would have been difficult. Yeah. But... The money side. Because we care a lot about health as well, obviously. Yes, money is nothing without health. Like, money is just a tool to help the other sectors. But you can use money to get more health. Totally. Like, you can buy organic food, you know. Yeah, you, you can, can buy a hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which I've got, a sauna. A sauna, yeah. Uh, I, I buy a lot of health stuff. I spend mm. a lot of money on health and stuff like that, because mm. I love it. And I spend a lot of money on traveling and having a lot of, a lot of fun. Mm. You know, you did your diving license recently. I did, yeah. And we're planning on um, going to the Galapagos Islands. Certified paddy diver. So well done, baby. That was a pretty big thing to um, tick off my goals list, which I'm happy I achieved in 2018. So that's that's sort of what I'm doing at the moment, and um, I suppose what's going to happen is um, how many members have we got at the moment? Around about 220, just over 220. We've got over 220 members. Yeah, at the 220 moment. people. Which so is we're awesome. making a big dent in getting to that um, 500 overarching level. goal: 500 yep. property millionaires. Yep. And then we're going to be able to travel around the world and educate them and help them, Absolutely. And which is awesome. And um, yeah. What's the best way for people to get involved and find out more about um, how they can invest in property? Look, I suppose what you can do is go to our website, positivepropertysolution.com.au. And join us at our next webinar. Yeah, or just check it out or whatever. Um, we also got the community on Facebook, Positive Property Club. Our Facebook Club. group, yeah. And so I, look for I, Positive Property Club. You can join there. Yeah, I do I do a lot of posts there in Positive Property Club, live videos and stuff like that and have a bit of a chat to people. But along this journey in this podcast, we're going to be doing a lot um, of stuff and teaching Giving people. you guys a lot of great information. Look, I, I want to give people as much information as I can. You know? Absolutely. Um, I really enjoyed this. It's good fun. You know? Some really big rocks that you can dig into and... Absolutely. Actually, useful information that you can then go and implement. Yep. So, um, yeah, check us out if you want to find out some. Thanks more info. for joining us on our first episode. It's been pretty <laughs> casual and relaxed, and you know we like to we we want to have a bit of fun with this and um, let us know what you want to hear about. But I think what we're going to do to start off, we're going to go through twelve areas. Yeah, we'll go on um, talk about just, each different subject and just um, really go in depth and explore it and show how it's done. You know what I mean? Yeah, sounds good. Awesome. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, guys. Thank you for listening. I'm grateful for all our listeners around the world. If you found this podcast valuable, please share with someone that might find this useful and please join our tribe of purpose-driven investors, increasing income and impact in our Facebook group, Positive Property. Please note, we have a multi-million dollar property portfolio and a passive income. I've become incredibly successful at investing in property. The fact of it is, however, Many people may find investing in property challenging. It's not easy, and it takes a lot of hard work. However, becoming educated to make an informed decision and having the right advisors gives you the tools you need to succeed. The most important part of this formula, however, is to actually take action and apply that knowledge. It is important to understand that information I share is of a general nature only and is not taking into account your unique circumstances. 
If you're considering investing in any asset class, you need to seek the advice of an independent professional advisor who will be able to look at your specific situation. Be sure your advisor has actually achieved the kind of results you're seeking. Many won't have, so beware. We've taken great care putting those educational resources together. We'd be surprised if you didn't find any errors or omissions. If you do, our legal team says we have to say we're not responsible for those. In fact, as with all things, even your success, we're not responsible. That responsibility always has and always will come down to you and the actions you take. We're passionate about supporting you in that process and helping you increase your ability to create wealth, live the life you desire, provide all the things you dream of for you and your family.